The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Shall we begin? Welcome back. This is part two of our tradecraft analysis of The Departed. In part one, we set up all the major characters and talk about the tradecraft involved in being a deep cover informant or a cop that is secretly working for an organized crime. If you missed out on part one, there's a simple solution. You might want to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you can always stay caught up with us. At the point we left off, our Leo DiCaprio hero is feeling more anxious than ever. He's failed to prevent the gang's social security information from falling into the hands of Costello's mole in the Boston Police Department. We resume here as he's about to meet his boss, Martin Sheen, on a secluded rooftop in this episode of Spies Like Us. Our next major scene involves uh, Sheen and Leo meeting face-to-face again. And the reason that they need to meet is uh, Leo's getting, you know, uh, we just went through the scene where Costello is, is seems to be really like sniffing his ass pretty fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> he knows that whatever the information in the envelope, well, obviously he gave fake information, but uh, in his mind, he thinks that that's going to turn up as a red flag to Costello. Right. And that, and that he's probably on, you know, some kind of clock of like, you know, I, I think at this point he's saying like, just get me out, 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 right? Right. Um. So you know, they arranged this meeting on a you know, rooftop of an abandoned building. It's not a bad place to meet, right? Yeah. Except, except for the fact that there's no, you know, exit routes. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, you know, it's isolated. I'll, I'll give them that. Uh, maybe you didn't need to go to the rooftop. You could have had your meeting on the bottom floor. I, I, I don't know. But uh, but Matt Damon is following the right play, which, again, he got the idea from Sheen in the first place. Follow the leader to find the rat. So he's told Costello, like, somehow he finds out that Leo and Sheen are meeting. Right? I think he's just kind of following the leader, like you had pointed out. That right. He's, I'm just going to tell Sheen he must be following him. I don't think they know that he's meeting with him. They're just probably watching him. And he's using his new powers as a you know, special investigator or whatever to mm-hmm. actually be able to put the cops on following Sheen. Yeah. And so the reports he gets from his cops, the cops are just, I mean, they're like, why are, why the fuck are we doing this? He's like, shut up, you know, just do your job. And they're okay with that for a bit. Um, but he's also telling Costello, like, this is it. Like Sheen is going to meet his rat. So both the cops are going for reasons. They don't know why. Right. And Costello's crew is going to this location. Um, that they know that or strongly suspect right. Sheen is going to meet with Leo. Uh-huh. And so, of course, uh, the whatever the gang equivalent of an APB goes out, uh, where everyone's supposed to call everyone and say, like, hey, 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 we got to get this, to this one address, to this one rooftop. Everybody uh-huh. go. And they can't get a hold of Leo for a bit, but when they do, interestingly... Um, and this might be interesting in more ways than one. Um, De La Hunt gives Leo the wrong address. Now, he will later state that that was an accident. The address was 844, and he accidentally told him 814. Uh-huh. But, of course, Leo is already at the correct address. Right. <laughs> so it, it does, you know, it's, it's terrifying when you think of that, that to think like, oh, someone will put those two pieces together. Right. Um, you know, we know the resolution of the rooftop scene. The, uh, the Leo gets away, sort of. 
Well, he gets away from being identified. Sheen gets killed. The cops are like, what the fuck is going on? And a gunfight ensues where De La Hunt gets shot. And not fatal. I mean, he gets shot fatally, but he doesn't die right away. Right. The gang, the gang does kind of get away. And, and it's, you know, it's later as they're kind of recovering and saying like, oh, shit, that was fucking rough. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. That, uh, that uh, De La Hunt, the dying De La Hunt, motions Leo over and says, like, hey, you know, I was thinking that, like, I was thinking, like, whoever didn't show up at the right place, that would be the rat. Which kind of doesn't make sense, logically. Because right. the rat should show up. If you're, if you're playing werewolf... Right. Uh, you definitely want to be a villager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When when the head villager says, "Let's go get a werewolf," even if you're a werewolf, you go fucking you you go do what the head villager says, right? Right, exactly. And then you want to take over from here, right? Well, th- that's when that's when Dela Hunt says, "By the way, I gave you the wrong address, but you were at the right address." Now hold on, hold on. He doesn't say, "By the way, I gave you the right address." He says. Ugh, Leo, I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I gave you the wrong address. I said 814, and it was actually 844, but you were at the right address. Tell me why I didn't say nothing. Tell me. So, this is when it's revealed that De La Hunt was actually undercover as well um, and, and has basically been keeping his back or whatever, or didn't tell. The, the mob that he knows that Leo's the rat and then De La Hunt dies they throw his body somewhere and it's discovered that he was an undercover agent which how, does is, this make, how does this make sense that De La Hunt knows that Leo is like assuming which we have strong evidence to believe but it's not definitive I would say it's not definitive it's, it's hard to say we don't get like de facto proof that De La Hunt was a cop. Yes, we do. It was on the news. They threw After he died, that they threw his body I, in I, the I, middle I, of nowhere. Well, Costello thinks that that could be a disinformation scheme. And so I think you still have to accept the, the idea it's possible, theoretically possible, that it is a disinformation scheme. Oh, I see what you mean. But, uh, but like what you're saying, that wouldn't make sense... Uh, you know, in that, well, then you have to turn around to De La Hunt's death scene where he says, like, hey, Leo, tell me why I didn't tell them. Right. But then once we accept the theory, which I, I think, like, when I say theory, I mean, like, the the most plausible theory. Right. That he is a cop. How did he know that Leo was also a cop? Because he gave him the wrong address, and he shows up to the right address. But 814 isn't that far from 844. And I don't know if he gave him the wrong street. No, it was the same street, right? So, uh, right. so wait. So, so, so De La Hunt says, I, I knew that whoever didn't show up, which I already said, like, kind of doesn't exactly. Yeah, but that line is from Infernal Affairs also. That The idea is people were called to show up to get the rat. And whoever didn't show up was the rat because the rat isn't going to show up to beat up himself. And Leo didn't get the calls to pick up the rat. That's why he got the late call when he's on the rooftop with Sheen. Where the hell are you? We've been calling you. He's like, and he even gets uh, interrogated later. Uh, like, well, why didn't you answer the phone? He was like, oh, I, was, I didn't have any service. I get all that. I get all that. Let me just put the question to you plainly. Why does De La Hunt protect Leo? Because he's an undercover cop. And that means that he knows that Leo is an undercover cop? Right. And how he figured that out is because he gave him the wrong address. And Leo showed up to the right address. I don't know how... I don't think you or really anyone are as huge uh, of an Aliens fanboy as me to, uh... to, to be excited about the fact that I found... I, I, when I was doing research for this podcast, I found out... Uh, another role that uh, De La Hunt, De La Hunt was in Aliens. 
Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Do you want to take a guess of 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 what? I'll, I'll I'll make it easy for you. He was one of the Marines. Okay. Uh, and you know he had some good lines and he had a good death. He doesn't he doesn't last too long through the movie. But uh, can can you you want to take maybe take a guess? I'm drawing a blank. All right. Remember Vasquez? Uh huh. With the, they got two people on the Marine teams that have like the big fucking heavy smart guns. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which is uh, uh, Vasquez and Drake, and they're like they're like homies in Aliens. Uh-huh. You know, it like it's it's her. It, like they're like the two badass Marines that are like between themselves. They're like, yeah, we know. We obviously all of us Marines are badass, but you and me are the most badass, right? Right. Uh, that's that's Drake, the actor that played Delahunt. Oh, uh, that dude. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> now that Sheen's dead, right. uh, Matt's got uh, access to Sheen's cell phone. This was this was a really cool scene. Let's hear uh, it. He basically realized, you know, he's going through all of the stuff from the crime scene. And there's a bloodied cell phone in the bag, and you know a light bulb sparks for Matt Damon, and he's like, "Oh, he probably called him." So he calls the last phone number that was received. Leo picks up, doesn't say a word. Matt Damon doesn't say a word. Leo hangs up back, I guess, hoping I think, for. I think let's let's give both of them some spy points for being totally quiet here. Yeah, like Leo picks up that phone, like that phone. That phone number, that phone call is coming from a dead man. Yeah, he even he says that. And, and that's why he calls back, I guess. But Right. But at but first, think, yeah. at first, he says absolutely nothing. Right. And Matt just made the call to see, like, what the other person would say. I really just love this scene. I want to give them both some spy points for just listening and not yeah. talking. Yeah. Um, but then Leo calls back, I guess, hoping to get some information. He's, he's like, I want to know why you're calling from a dead man's phone. And Matt Damon's was like, Oh, it's you. Uh, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is I, I just want to, I just want to flag this. It's, it's important and it's thought through. Um, it is, I mean, it turns out to be a bad decision sort of mm-hmm. because what it does is it gives Matt Damon a chance to seed the lie of, right. you know, I've taken over for Sheen. Right. Uh, which is massive plus spy points. I guess, you know, I guess I can't give minus spy points to Leo, though, for making that call back because what else is he going to do? Right. Right, right. He doesn't really have any outs right now. Marky Mark's the only one that knows his identity. So who's he really going to reach out to at this point? You know what? Maybe he should have also had Marky Mark's phone number instead of only having Martin Sheen's phone number. Well, I mean, you want to kind of protect your web, right? Yeah, I get that. You want to compartmentalize, like, I guess. I get it, you know, compartmentalize. I mean, maybe this is how Marky Mark finds things out at the end because he's, like, nowhere to be found. He's not – maybe he's not answering calls for anybody and he's doing his own investigation, I guess. But he doesn't. What Marky Mark doesn't have Leo's phone number. Maybe he should. Maybe he should be calling Leo. Well, maybe that's why he's not answering. I mean, he's just been given two weeks leave with pay. He's not supposed to be doing anything. You know, I, I don't know. We we don't get any information about what's going on with him. So we just kind of presume he's been going in and knocking on doors or following just, people or something. Just, he, just doing Marky Mark stuff. Yeah, just calling people cocksuckers. <laughs> right? Listen here, cocksucker. You know, I'm from Bastin. Uh, don't tell me nothing. I already know this. I know this drill. So don't be a cocksucker and tell me what you know. You know, I yeah. I, I like that idea. I want to see that movie. You want to see? Oh, I do too. Yeah, yeah. I, I really do. If Mark Wahlberg's agents are listening, if you want the Todd Dollar... This is what you're gonna fucking do, all right? You're gonna make you're gonna make a TV series, right? <laughs> and it's gonna be called Dignum. Yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I would you totally gonna, watch it. You're going to put that shit on Hulu or some <laughs> fucking some, some shit that I don't give a shit enough about to fucking subscribe to. But I'm going to see that. I'm going to be like, fuck, you motherfuckers. You, got, <laughs> you, you, you done fucking got my dollar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but um, when, when, when Leo calls back, uh, Matt Damon kind of keeps up the act. He's like, oh, it's you. Hey, why don't you come in? Like, you know, you did good work and stuff like that. Uh, so this is actually my best number three is Matt Damon keeping up the cover when calling in with Leo. He actually keeps his cover up the whole time. It's my best number two. I'm with you. It's it's strong spy points for yeah, Marky Mark. Massive. Massive. Or for Matt Damon, sorry. Yeah. It's really good. He just he's just like, Hey, you've done good work. Come on in and we'll talk. We'll we'll take care of you. Thank you for your service, you know? Like <laughs> Yeah, he reels them in nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, Leo can't do because they still haven't taken down Costello. So they gotta, they still got to work on it and figure it out. Um, oh, right, because Leo doesn't come in until after Costello is dead. Right. That's, so that's what makes him feel safe to come in. That it's, is very... That is very interesting to me. Yeah, at this point, he can't come in because Sheen's dead. He still has to do his duty. Costello's not taken down. You know, this this guy Sheen just gave up his life for him to protect him. You know, he, he wanted out, but now he can't get out because it's he, like... He knows he knows there's somebody, somebody right. could still uh, basically, like, you know, put his neck under Costello's chopping block. He only feels safe to even attempt to come in basically after the next scene of the movie that we're going to talk about, which is where, you know, Costello and Frenchie and basically the whole crew gets just fucking annihilated. Uh, but at this point, um, you know, just dialing it back, uh, Matt Damon going through Martin Sheen stuff finds photos that leads him to find out that Costello is not only FBI protected, but is probably is an informant for the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to put this down as my number two best. Uh, we discussed this early on in the podcast, um, but uh, basically Costello was untouchable because he was an FBI informant. And what he was doing was basically handing stuff to the FBI. Um, you know, like and to, the, and to the Boston PD and the Boston PD, uh, you know, so he was basically immune to anything. Um, and this is what kind of helped him stay one step ahead of everything is because, you know, he was playing all, all of the sides at, at this point. And that's the that's the real story of Whitey Bulger right there is, right. is how he got away with what he did for so long was that he was playing both sides. Right. You know, right. like, uh, you know, uh, we're going to get soon to a point where, you know, Matt Damon is, is saying, like, uh, you know, what you, you know, Leo is accusing Matt Damon of working for Costello. Uh-huh. Matt Damon's defense is, fuck you, Costello was working for me. Right. You know? <laughs> right. But, but when you when you really delve into these things, and again, like Sicario, we, we're gonna we're I mean we're gonna do Sicario someday, right? Right, absolutely. Um, this is what I call like to me like the Sicario problem, where it's it's when you know when you're in so deep uh, with the enemy that you, both of you are benefiting equally to the mm-hmm. detriment of of. Uh, other factions involved mm-hmm. that it's indistinguishable. The chess game has become uh, cooperation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's turned into it's, it, yeah, it's so, it's so fascinating. I love the way this movie explores that. I love the way it's Sicario explores right. that. Um, but uh, you know, Matt Damon's he's, he's, he's got a point there. I mean, he's got a legit, uh, way of getting himself out of this as long as he manages to kill anybody that doesn't know 
anything more about it. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's get to this final chapter, which is kind of weird at this point in that, uh, you know, Costello, to me, at this point, should be highly on edge. And maybe the smart thing right now with, like, things are at a fever pitch, you know, with both sides. And for some reason, Costello chooses this point to do, like, I don't know, some huge fucking drug deal or whatever back on the docks. I'll give it, I mean, uh, minus five points. This is not the time to do your big fucking drug deal. Well, this is the big climax because this is what kind of... It's the soft climax because right. this movie has two climaxes. Mm-hmm. This is our. This is what we. This is what in a normal movie would have been the climax, right? <laughs> and and would have been like the end of the movie. You know, like did you notice too? Like they never even say really in the movie what this last uh, drug deal. I, I I'm pulling drug deal out of my ass because. They don't even say where Costello's going or or what he's doing, but it's apparently something bad, and he's very vulnerable to being, mm, you know, caught by the cops here. And th- this is what kind of takes Costello down. Um, There's also a little weird thing. I cannot fucking figure this one out. It's You see Leo text the destination of where he's going with Costello to Matt Damon. Why? That's how Matt Damon gets the information of where Costello's going. Does he Which, text does he text like Sheen's phone? Um, I don't even remember this. You will see uh, all I know I don't know what phones are being used, but you will see in very short order, uh Leo is in the back of the car and he's texting the location and he's looking around, making sure he's not being observed. And then you will immediately see Matt Damon get that text. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. It's, it's, it doesn't make... Well, okay, unless, unless you buy into that at this point, uh, Leo is maybe, like, uh, making his play to see if the person on the oh, end of him the line yeah. of, the, of the dead man's phone... Mm-hmm. Is gonna follow up. Now that because if he doesn't, then we know who he is. So this is, oh wow! So he runs his own burial meal, kind of, but he's putting in good information. Mm-hmm. That, that makes sense to find out if the guy on the other side of the phone will actually show up with the cops. Which again, oh my god, we spent so much time talking about like Leo's decision to actually give Matt Damon's lie a chance to to have a chance to believe that this person is actually on his side. Right. Um so yeah. Wow. I'm I'm glad we talked it through like that cuz it 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 makes so much more sense like that by now. Matt Damon kills Costello and with that he has no one that knows his real identity or at least he thinks and he so, can so- he could play the good guy cop. Right. So, but he kills Costello. Why? So now he could be the good guy. He's the one that took down Costello. No one needs to know that I was the rat the whole time or the mole the whole time. I get to walk away clean and I could stay like the poster child. I absolutely love how it works out, but I just want to spend a moment to uh, think through Matt Damon's play. He knows that Costello is in bed with people other than himself. Cut Costello my... could throw him under the bus if he ever needs to cut his weight, you know, or yeah. something like that. His motivation changes at this point. He realizes he doesn't know how deep the game could go. Right. And, and so in a way, like, he wants out. Right. And we're going to come back to this when we talk about Infernal Affairs. Absolutely. In a true fucking Hong Kong movie... It always has to come down to one man versus one man. Uh, right. Like every, everyone else has to be dead. Right. You know, and this, you, you can see this also in like so many like samurai movies. Right. And stuff like and then you got to have like the resolution of the one, the, the mono, ah, mono. Right, right. Right. <laughs> right yeah, because at this point, everybody's dead. 
Leo comes into the office. Matt gets his like slow clap, and then Leo gets his like you know like shoulder pats and like oh my god you were the undercover blah blah blah, um, and you know Matt's still keeping his cover. You know, especially since Costello's dead, nobody really knows who he is. At least he doesn't think so. And he's just kind of like, hey, you know, let's get you paid, man. You did a good job. Let's let's go and uh, get all your stuff. But I, I can't get any of your file. What's the password? And it was like his fucking name. And he's just like, Wait, well, I think in Infernal Affairs it was undercover or something. But but here it's like, <laughs> yeah. Either way, yeah. Your fucking password is your name, you stupid, stupid fuck. Minus all, <laughs> minus all the spy points, please. Right. <laughs> well, even Matt Damon is like, your name? It's your fucking name? Like, he's just mad at himself, which kind of makes sense because that would definitely be right under his nose with all everything that they're dealing with. He's not going to sit down and try and crack the code, right? He doesn't have time for that or the mental space to even think outside of the box or whatever. But, yeah, no, definitely on you with that. <laughs> um. It's a little iffy whether or not Matt Damon could delete Leo's file. Like, yeah, he was put in charge of this SIU operation to find the mole. But he's, one, not the head of SIU. And number two, he's definitely not in charge of the database of SIU or the Boston Police well, Department. Hold on, hold on. Or... Yeah, SIU is a different thing. SIU is what Alec Baldwin's running. This is internal affairs. But still, but still, your point is good. Um, I'm also iffy on the idea that Leo seeing the envelope on Matt Damon's desk just proves that. By the so, way, we're, the envelope you're talking about is that yellow manila envelope that had all of the mob write their names, social security numbers. Then the guy writes citizen wrong. He crosses it out and spells it correctly. Right. And the movie, the movie yeah. just fucking like jumps over backwards to make sure that at every single point that we see the envelope, that we can easily identify it. If Leo thinks that Matt Damon is who he says he is, that Matt Damon is doing his fucking job, and that there's a lot of ways he could have gotten a hold of that envelope. I I, I see what you're saying, but I still kind of disagree. Because, um, well, one, the reason why we have to have the handwriting is so that we know this is a unique envelope. There's no way that it's no other envelope it's, than the one... It's- Right. And that it's Leo not a crossed out. So cinematically, it's important. But once Leo sees the envelope, he just leaves. I'm I'm gonna put this as my number three worst tradecraft. Um, should have kept up his cover. He should have played along and like and, and and lured Matt Damon in till he got more evidence. And this is what leads into my worst number three. Uh. Leo, after discovering the envelope, realizes that Matt Damon is the mole. And at that point, he just up and leaves the building. And I think that was a bad play because at this point, by doing that, he let Matt Damon know that he knows he's the mole. Um, Never, never let them know what you know. Right. Never. Right. And, you know, he's panicked. He thought he was in a safe space. He now realizes he's not in a safe space. And he's just like, I got to get out of here. He runs off, um, gives uh, the therapist that makes uh, Matt and Leo Eskimo brothers um, uh, uh, an envelope and says, don't open this uh, unless, you know, something bad happens to me. You know, uh, you're the only person I can trust. You know, and then... He mails Matt Damon recordings of, uh, well, it turns out Costello records all, like, has a wire on him all the time. So he can have, like, evidence on everything and everybody in case he needs to take anybody down. And apparently, uh, Costello had his attorney send all these tapes to Leo. And I guess Leo's the only guy he could trust or something. I don't buy that shit at all. Yeah, I think that's a super, super minus five points for the movie. It's a total bullshit shortcut. There's no way that Costello gave instructions to his lawyer to give the newest guy on his crew that, again, we've talked 
ad infinitum about like all the reasons that Costello would have to distrust Leo. Right. That that's <laughs> the guy that it, it, it's, I can see again, it comes down to there's only so many minutes we can put in a movie. Uh, I can see some ways that Leo could have gotten his hands on Costello's recordings. Uh-huh. And that would have been cool, but, you know, we don't need another fucking ten minutes, you know, in a movie that's already pretty long. Right. Uh, but it's but it's minus five points. You, you know, it's it's a blink of an eye, and it's gone. Well, well, they actually did a good job of this in internal, Infernal Affairs. The, the mob boss... You see, there's a quick shot where he takes out tapes and puts it in a drawer. So our uh, Infernal Affairs, like Leo equivalent, would know where those tapes are and could get them later. Right. Awesome. But yeah, but uh, he he gives he gives Madeline the therapist an envelope, mails a, a recording of the conversation at the porn theater. Uh, to Matt Damon, but Madeline gets them and starts listening to him. It's when she realizes the guy that she's basically what engaged to or married to or whatever at this point is, is and living with is like a crooked cop. That's like working with like this crazy high level, like criminal organization, you know? Um, and uh, that's how she finds out that that Matt's been, you know, on like Team Bad Guy the whole time, which like totally like shatters her reality about him. Um, but you know, I think you're right about like you know, I think, bullshit I think on would... the attorney mailing it to them. Scorsese's got a huge blind spot on female characters. Uh, I've I've got some other thoughts we're going to talk about later uh, on Infernal Affairs, but like you know, just like I feel like. He just like kind of pastes in a couple of females just to just to have them there, right? And, and and you know, her realizing this whole thing. I mean, yeah, it's a good scene, but like, you know, her character is still just a fucking ghost in this film. Yeah, she has no dimension whatsoever. And, it's really and she, no, and neither does Costello's wife. Right, and those are the yeah. only two women in the whole film. I mean, I did like. Uh, Costello's wife. I liked seeing her in her few moments of of being like this one person in the entire universe that could tell Frank like shut the fuck up, you know, yeah, like right. Let's go. <laughs> but like you know, her whole motivation is like shut shut up so we can go have sex. And Scorsese movies are never ever ever going to pass the Bechdel test. No, definitely that's, not. That's it's it's not. It's not his thing. Uh, I think I've said before, I'll say it again. Uh, ladies, uh, Scorsese movies. This is my this is my little, you know how Jon Stewart would like, you know, turn the camera over and like just have a little one-on-one with the audience? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is my moment. Ladies, Martin Scorsese does not make movies for you. He really, he really... <laughs> Really, he really doesn't. You should maybe watch one of them just to get an idea of what kind of shit goes down in a Martin Scorsese movie. And then you basically got it. You you don't need to watch any of the others. And right. if you're going to watch one, I'm going to have to go with Goodfellas. Uh, but then just... I would just, agree. Just... Just don't worry about it. Well, that and uh, Taxi Driver, because Taxi Driver is kind of like in its own right, I guess. I think it's and that's his like first film. I think I think Taxi Driver and Goodfellas, and and then you're good. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would go with that. Absolutely. I mean, Taxi Driver is fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, but again, it's there's there's just like so little room for women in Scorsese's films. It's 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 really glaring. Yeah, these, these are <laughs> these are these are movies about men and men's twisted motivations and men's uh, ambitions and goals. But uh, The Departed, at least. Uh, I think I said this at the top of the podcast, you know, at least like this of Scorsese's films, recent films, is more about men's 
fears than it is about their ambitions and their hubris. Right. And and that's why I respond well to it. But but not a not a not a date movie. Nah. <laughs> well, I guess it depends on the date. <laughs> right. I, I I know I know some dates that I probably could have taken to a departed film. Uh, but yeah, but general yeah, this this would not be like a Valentine's date. Maybe not. I don't know. Depends on the date, I guess. <laughs> how how about this last shit though? Like that. Okay, so let's assume this bullshit that Leo's got the tapes. Would we'll stipulate that. How does he make his play? He makes his play by uh, basically um, teasing the enemy, teasing Matt Damon by mailing him the tapes right. and saying, I know all your shit, you fucking rat fuck. He makes a phone call. He says, fuck you. I fucking know everything about you. Let's meet. Right. Is that is that the right play? I don't think no. so. I don't think so. The only reason I think the movie puts it as the right play is because Matt Damon's the only one that has his identity. Uh, you know, Marky Mark's missing. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest hole of the film. Apparently, is... apparently, uh, what Leo says, because Brown shows up, like, Leo is setting uh, Matt Damon up to arrest him personally. Right. And apparently he told Brown, like, Brown shows up on the rooftop, and Leo's flipping out. He's like, fuck you. Like, Brown, I told you to meet me downstairs and to bring Marky Mark. Um... Which, okay, so Brown didn't follow instructions in two ways. Right. He didn't meet A, he didn't meet him downstairs, and B, he didn't bring Marky Mark. Right. Uh, which, of course, like, you know, again, like, uh, Leo assumes that Brown has some way to get a hold of Marky Mark. I'm not sure why. Right. But apparently Brown doesn't have that kind of access. Instead, Brown shows up upstairs and does his total fucking great uh, cop duty, or at least tries, but another dude shows up. Right. After uh, they get through the elevator and they're coming down, everybody's at gunpoint. Elevator opens and Leo's head's blown off by some other guy. That other guy... Which was... was, You got to put a nail on this, right? Right. when you first saw the movie, you you your the floor dropped out from right, under you. Like, <laughs> right. You were like, no, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, this this is not what I expected. What the fuck? Right. Um. It turns out someone on Matt Damon's like task force uh, was one of Costello's other moles. Right, he basically had the two dudes, right? He had right. Brown, and he had this other dude that, remember, like, uh, this is fun, too. Like, he said, like, you want to you wanna do some real work, or you want to come to work every day dressed like you're about to invade Poland? Oh, that was that guy. That was that guy, and check uh... it out. Check it, check, 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 check it out. If you go on the internet, uh, you will find... Some people that will uh, provide evidence. I'm. I'm not. I'm not gonna say this is true, but I'll say if you look it up, the SS uniform of the National Socialist Party of Germany was a direct ripoff of guess what? What? The Boston police uniform. Wait, what? Yep. Well, that's interesting. There's a, there's a ton of people saying like, oh, gift sources or whatever, but apparently if you look at the two of them, and also the guy that designed the uh, SS uniform for Hitler uh, was, uh, uh, what you call it, he was a Harvard graduate. He was from Boston. Oh. Crazy, right? That's super anyways, crazy. Anyways. <laughs> I'm not super, I, I don't want to go down to that conspiracy theory rabbit hole right. but it's very interesting that that joke was made 
Yeah. Do you want to show up every day in a uniform that looks like you're about to invade Poland? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But that guy, that guy, that other guy that was working for Matt on his little personal task force, uh, he kills Leo and Brown. And then he tells Matt Damon, hey, I was also working for Costello this whole time. Right. And he was like, do you think you were the only one? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, Matt Damon ends up killing him, which, you know, that way he could cover his tracks. And now nobody knows who he is. But I definitely want to mark this as my number one best. Um, I was saving this for now because we found out that, oh, crap, what was his name? The, the, there was another undercover cop. De La Hunt, Hunt, right? Uh Uh-huh. That So we had two being placed in a Costello's gang. We then have um, Costello placing two moles into the Boston PD. This is actually like a a spy trick, I guess. Or not trick, but uh, policy or whatever. You'll have other spies watching your spies to make sure that they're doing their job. Or that they're not doing anything sketch. Or... Okay, because I was I was gonna give it, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I was gonna give it minus spy points. It's one step too fucking complicated for me. That this guy, uh, we'll we'll just call him like uh, Polish uniform, right? Or you know, German uniform guy, um, was was also working for Costello this whole time. This whole time. That he was working so closely with Matt Damon? Are you, are you telling me by this? You can. You can. I want to hear your thoughts. Oh! I thought you had more. Uh, no, I absolutely do buy this. What I don't buy is Costello planted a guy that was just running, like, the... What, what was he running? Like, the armory? Or he was running, like, the files, like, cage or something? Um... He was just a guy behind, like, the cage. And then, all of a sudden, Matt Damon picks him to be on his task force. Like, there's no way Costello would have planned that unless he told Matt Damon to pick him. Well, he could have got to him later and and started giving them some cheddar and saying, like, hey, you know, uh, again, finger to lips. Uh, You're just going to tell me if, uh, if Matt Damon ever does anything fishy. So that's kind of what I'm thinking um, that one, it's always good to, so it's not even just to watch the other guy. It's also to verify the information you're getting. Okay. They don't even need to know about each other. You just need to verify that information. So like having two undercover cops running Costello's gang, one, you could get two different sources of information that one isn't getting or the other isn't getting, but you can also verify both of their information because it's coming from two different sources. Right, right. Okay, so I see, I see where you're going with that. There, there's several reasons why you would plant, and this goes back to what I've said a million times on our podcast. It's really important to have a team, and that, and that team uh, needs to exist on different levels, right? Like you don't just need a team of like analysts and a team of surveillance and you need like a team of people that are like actually doing the the um the actual like human intelligence work like where like okay well two people are getting information from the same sources they get the same information we can now verify that information you can also use them to see well, is this guy working for the other guys or not? Like, there's multiple reasons why you would do this. I'm sold. I'm sold. Okay. Yeah. Here's my number one best. And it's such a simple thing, but I'll stand by it. Uh, now that Matt Damon is free and clear, and all anybody that could contradict his story uh, is is dead in the ground, he consistently insists that Leo get the Medal of Merit. It is a masterful dick move. (laughs) It is such, like, the audience is sitting there going, like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. 
like with their arms crossed and they're fucking like you're just like holy fuck you fucking rat yeah 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 you hate him so much at this point yeah at this point you absolutely hate him yeah and but you know it's again he is really covering his tracks by by so wholeheartedly supporting you know, giving his support and and post added love to the one guy that was his enemy. Uh, this is this is villainy, but yeah. it's also it's also like plus five points. Absolutely, it's my best number one. Absolutely, Metal. absolutely. Give my enemy, give my departed enemy, the medal of merit, please, please. Yeah. <laughs> that guy was awesome. Yeah. Also adds to his cover. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a big play. It's masterful Scorsese storytelling because it sets us up as an audience to really, really love what comes next. The best part of the movie, making Marky Mark the hero that we all deserve. Uh, Matt Damon comes home with his groceries, you know, like honey, hoping that you know. Uh, his fiance's there. And you already know. You see those boots, and you already know. Especially if you've watched enough serial killer films, you know how how like the forensics like find fibers and like boot prints and whatever and do. It's oh, like this guy, when you this... go to see the crime boss and and his flunkies are spreading out a plastic sheet, and they're wearing those booties, right? You know, you, you know, you already know from the shot. Oh, oh, okay. Here, here's our justice. You know what I mean? Like, and the tracksuit. Yeah. Which then it's then it then it's then it pans up and you just see a tracksuit coming up. Like every every like nanosecond of that shot, like is just like this overwhelming like curse. You know, like it's great. It is so satisfying. It is yeah. so satisfying to see this character that you have. Uh, you know, the the movie has masterfully done a little like you know cups moving around the cups right and yeah. like made you pay attention to this like you know made you pay attention to that that you've kind of forgotten that this guy existed right and yep. when he shows up again it just like it's like you're just like i don't know you're fucking creaming your jeans yeah in yeah. the movie theater absolutely getting goosebumps you're like oh my god like you already know what's happening and and, 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 and even though it's such a quick like moment like it's just you you savor every little like moment of this shot and you're just like fuck yes this this is this is what i came here for you know what i mean like and then he and then he walks out and then we see the rat mm -hmm. like the actual like uh, there's a rat walking on the windowsill right uh as as the shots like shooting like boston or whatever like you get a shot of boston the the capitol building remember because that was the pitch when uh, when Matt Damon bought the apartment, that was one of the pitches of the realtor. Is like, oh, you get a great view of the Capitol. Right, right. So you're literally looking at the Capitol building, uh, you know, with this fucking rat, and then they fucking smash the credits. It's so fucking good. Yeah, it was great. Let's talk about some infernal affairs. Yes, let's let's do that. We might need to go into the debriefing room. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. It's the same movie. Uh, Roger Ebert, uh, when reviewing The Departed, he literally said that he could have just cut and pasted some names around and submitted it as like his review of The Departed as a review of... Infernal uh, Affairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> there is a character in Infernal Affairs that I think was the inspiration from Mark Wahlberg's character. There, There's a guy on the force that goes like nuts on everybody in the office. And and I'm pretty sure that, that I, I even said that when we watched Infernal Affairs. I was like, oh, there's Mark Wahlberg, which I think was important to create. Because in the movie, there's only one guy that knows the undercover cop's identity. By killing that guy, no one knows that identity when the file's deleted. 
So I think it's important that you had another person who knows his identity. Now, your point about merging two female characters in a one character, lowering the female count and uh, screen time, because Inferno Force had a lot more women in it. Yes, they were. That there, was one of the. A lot of them the, were in the background, but there was a lot more women in it. That was one of the complaints when uh, the the creators of Infernal Affairs were asked to comment about the Departed. Uh, that was one of their major complaints: is that they thought that the female uh, characters that they had created had been shoved into the background. I don't disagree with you that Madeline is a like. She's literally just a plot device to develop Matt and Leo. And, and that really, really sucks, you know, for women, like, you know, like to have a woman character and she's like kind of no dimension. She's just kind of like a, like a bouncing board to develop these other male characters. Uh-huh. Um, and back to your point of just like getting rid of all the female, like in Infernal Affairs, there are women in the police everywhere running surveillance they have lines. They're they're like on the force. They're doing jobs. They're, you know, doing all kinds of shit. You know, there aren't that many on the mob side, but you know, that's the mob, right? Type of thing. You know, they, they, that's something that bothered me. Like they could have put a lot more. I mean, considering I guess the male hierarchy in Boston police. I guess I I don't know, but whatever. Like I'm not getting into that. Right, but, but, but that's that's what attracts Scorsese to his general. Like, you know, his core material is, like, machismo. He's all about exploring machismo in, in, right. in different ways. And he does, I mean, he explores it in a way that, like, yeah, they, they, get, uh, they get shut down in the end by their hubris. Right. But it's still, like, you know, 90% of the movie is just about them waving their dicks around. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I, I liked that he had... Uh, both Matt and Leo having a relationship with the same woman and her being a therapist. Um, in Infernal Affairs, the the therapist is the one that uh, the undercover cop is seeing. But, she, you know, like in both films, she doesn't know that he's a cop. She just thinks he's like a recovering criminal, you know, and that kind of sparks their relationship. Um, uh but I, I liked the idea of them both interacting with a the therapist together. Uh, I just think it was really shitty that he just like kind of like turned her into a prop, which is typical for Scorsese films where like the women are props, which makes sense in a mob setting. But you're doing like this like heavy character development where you're going into like kind of some dark places, like not mob dark places like, hey, we're going to cut this guy's head off. Like we're going to dark places like, on an emotional level, like, how is this affecting these two men? Like, and now your therapist is like non-dimensional. She's not even one dimensional. She's just kind of there. Um, and that bothered me, but I liked that. That was how they were both seeing the same woman. I think that Madeline's love for both of these characters is flawed their love for her is flawed right it doesn't spiral out as as much but but it's 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 there at least like um they're they're not loving for the right reasons right in infernal affairs uh matt damon analogs girlfriend who's not a therapist she's a novelist Mm -hmm. is his conscience well, I mean, that's what I liked a lot about Infernal Affairs is I think the characters were much more human. Like, and I mean all of the characters. Um, the only thing is that the the organized crime mole, like Matt Damon's equivalent, I guess, he was like more in the background. Uh, and he wasn't nearly as good as an actor as uh, Leo's equivalent. Um, I think the guy that played... The, the main guy, which is the undercover cop, was great in this. Um, but uh, I, I felt that having the two women and the relationships between the two different, like the two parallel characters, made them a lot more human in a lot of ways. One of the big major changes is that the, the 
the organized crime mole doesn't get killed in the end. He actually like repents from his pr- past life. This opportunity was presented to him to like start a new life, and he chooses to do that. Pitch of the movie for Infernal Affairs is like, you know, two tragic heroes. In The Departed, we, we hate man, Matt Damon. Right. And, and we, we root for El Caps. Right. In the in the Infernal Affairs, we're we're really more meant to understand that like both of these guys are just fucking sucked into this horrible fucking bullshit. And the Chinese title of uh, Infernal Affairs, it 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 actually more translates into um, the unceasing path, uh-huh. which is a reference to the lowest level of hell in Buddhism, where someone endures suffering uh, forever and ever and ever. Right. All right. Well, mainland China has rules. Uh, you can never, you can never let a villain escape punishment in the end mm-hmm. uh, in a, in a movie, which also, you know, cause they made, uh, they actually made uh, infernal affairs two and three, uh, which would make those make no sense. Right. <laughs> If anybody's listening, Infernal Affairs, check that shit out. Let's wrap this up and get our uh, star ratings for The Departed. Final impressions. Uh, I can't argue with the art of the creation of the movie by Scorsese. I'm glad he got his best director for this Maybe I wish he'd gotten his best director for something else, but <laughs> who knows? Um, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a four. Uh, fantastic movie, rewatchable, not evergreen. That's me. Um, I've got I've got, and if you're only gonna ever watch one or two or even three Scorsese movies, this wouldn't make my list. um now i'm with you on a four uh i i i i think what he did was take uh infernal affairs and convert it into like an oscar type of film and i think there's a lot of things he tightened up even though there's a lot of things that i think were better about the that, that were way better in Infernal Affairs. Not only the tradecraft for number one, but tradecrafts don't win win Oscars. Um, but I, I think there's a lot more humanism. So, But I don't want to take away from The Departed as a film by itself. Like, I think, I think it was really, 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 really good. And I don't think anybody would be disappointed watching it. Um, so I'm going to give it a solid four. My number three best tradecraft is uh, follow the leader. That's that's how you find your rat. Instead yeah. <laughs> of wasting your time trying to flesh out the rat, which there are ways you could do, but uh, you know if you just follow the rat's leader, uh, he'll eventually lead you to the rat, and uh, that's some good tradecraft. Number two best, I like the way that uh, Matt Damon once he's got that comfy chair he really does uh you know invite leo in and part of that is maybe also having uh you know eliminated costello and uh making sure that now is the time to to do that and really just absolutely cover his tracks my number one best tradecraft is matt damon uh insisting on the dead the padded in the padded Leo getting the Medal of Merit. There's no better way to just fucking try to seal the deal than just commit to your persona that you've taken on and really just apply as much butter and sweetness as you can yeah. on that one guy that can't not ever say anything bad about you anymore because he's departed. <laughs> right? My number three was Matt Damon keeping his cover when he was calling in Leo. He kept his cover the whole way through. 
uh, and I thought uh, it was definitely well played. Uh, my number two was uh, Costello using the FBI for protection. He, he was pretty much playing everybody. He was in bed with everybody to make sure that nobody could really come after him um, and would throw them bones to keep them away from him. Uh, my number one was uh, both sides planting extra spies. Costello had two in the police force, and then Sheen had two, or somebody from Boston PD had a second undercover cop. And I think uh, that you know that's 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 definitely Spymaster 101. You know, definitely have multiple people to verify your information or even keep watch on your other your other agents. Over to the worst. I'll go with my worst number three is. Uh... You know, Matt Damon eventually gets around to running these numbers, and uh, he finds two guys that come up as person not found. Yeah. And at no point does he share that information with Costello, although he has multiple opportunities to do so. Uh, my number two worst that Costello would have named to his lawyer that Leo was his most trusted person and the one person that should get all of his secret tapes. And also, you know, I I think uh, El Caps could have done better with those tapes. My number one worst, the idea that the other guy was also a mole the whole time, I get it. Dave likes it. I don't. That's my worst number one. I feel yeah. like it just shows up out of nowhere and and feels. Oh no, no, it definitely does show up out of nowhere, uh, and I and I think there's a cheat. But since we're picking apart tradecraft, I'm I'm just isolating it from the storytelling of of filmmaking. Like you, you definitely have to have those plants. But you're right. When we as an audience get revealed that information, I I yeah, I'm definitely on board with you that it was just kind of out of left field. Which is what tradecraft should be anyway, right? <laughs> My number three was Leo running away after realizing Matt Damon was the rat. He should have bit his time. I mean, it makes sense because, like, he just got that release of, like, I'm in a safe place now. I can, I can go to sleep. I can stop popping pills. You know, maybe I'll call up Madeline. My number two uh, was... Um, Leo made the suggestion to like use the barium meal to suss out the rat and nobody, uh, you know, Martin Sheen or Marky Mark didn't follow up on that or didn't use that. And it ended up, uh, prolonging, I guess the issue. My number one is Martin Sheen telling Matt Damon, his guy spotted the rat the night. He gave him all the information. It was way too much information to give outside of his circle, you know, dealing with an asset of this much value. Like, this asset was very valuable to both of them, and it was too much information to be giving out. Hey, Dave, what's yeah. uh, what's what's uh, what's the park bench rating? We're on a scale of one of five. Five park benches being the most realistic, one park bench being the least realistic. So, park benches for The Departed. Dave, you got some Thoughts? Let's hear them. I, I just want to throw this out there. Just I want to I want to start at a four point five, but I think I think you're probably going to talk me down. I think everybody acted within their means. You know, I, like like we we really like crapped all over Martin Sheen and his kind of like uh, sad attempts at being master spy. But I mean, like, I it's I don't think he's had any intelligence experience. I think he just maybe worked undercover, right? So I'm sure that's why he could handle undercover agents. But as far as like pulling Barry and me, I mean, like I was just surprised to have Leonardo DiCaprio's character even bring up the idea of just disinformation. Tell him a bullshit lie at SIU and see if it makes it through. Leo was able to think of this. And then Costello makes sense because he's probably dealt with undercover agents in the past. So he's probably got little cute tricks like, his his one off bearing a meal that he throws out there, but yeah, I'm gonna drag I'm gonna drag you way down though. I'm gonna okay. drag you way down. I could maybe see a four for the reasons you're giving, but I actually want to go down to a three point five on the okay. system. 
A Most Wanted Man is a four. Munich is a four. Company TV miniseries part two is a four. A couple of those are really grounded in history. And right. I like what you're saying, but I really, I really want to try to drag this down to a 3.5. Put it in uh, Miss Sloan Good Shepherd territory. And Samurai Spy? I think you made a good point. Maybe we should just give it a 3.5. And, you know, that's not – that's decent territory. That puts a Samurai Spy and Miss Sloan and Good Shepherd, and those are hefty. You know, this isn't just out of the blue, you know. Oh, it's I, great. It's, it's great territory. I think a 3.5 is absolutely earned. You're going to raise some eyebrows for me if you want to push it up to a 4. But, yes, I, I, I think you've made a good point about it. Yeah, let's do 3.5. Boom, baby. And that's an episode. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You can find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.